welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder's ascension into playoff conversations, particularly their last week and a half getting themselves into this position where they're going to be in playoff discussions, not just in the coming weeks, but until the closure of the 2022-23 to regular season. So I'll be breaking down their latest four games, and I'm going to be breaking down kind of what I see as their secret recipe as to why they played so much better this season. Guys, since we last spoke, the NBA G League All-Star voting ballots have been open, so you guys can vote on any of the OKC Blue players. The way that they do it, it's not technically called an All-Star game, but that's basically what it's going to be. They're going to play during All-Star Weekend. 10 players selected by fan vote. The rest will be decided by the organizations. Plenty of great options. Jamias Ramsey has returned for the OKC Blue. He dropped 25 points in his return earlier this week. Also have great options outside of the blue. Xavier Simpson, I mentioned him on Twitter a couple days ago. He's averaging 18 points and 8.8 assists this year. That is a league high for the G League. And he's shooting 47% from three, which I did not expect. He was not really a three-point shooter in his two seasons with the OKC Blue, but he's really turned it around. And he's kind of positioned himself to where... He's almost the Chason Randall uh, type guy where if you need to bring up a two-way, if you need a veteran point guard, you're going to look at guys like Xavier Simpson. So he's really built up his stock, which is amazing to see as a former member of the OKC Blue. Want to talk about Thunder though in this podcast and kind of how they have done in their last couple of games. Going to start things out going four games back when they faced off against the Brooklyn Nets. And Brooklyn went into this one down a little bit of their squad. They did not have Kevin Durant at their disposal, which is obviously going to be a big absence for them. But guys like Kyrie Irving are still on the roster. Joe Harris, he's able to light it up from distance. So there's a lot of different elements that you kind of have to tackle with this team, even when they do not have their top guys. So it was a tall task, but they were able to get it done in this game, 112 to 102 was the final for the Thunder taking that win. Box score doesn't tell you everything. This was a really kind of a seesaw of a matchup. OKC had a pretty seismic lead in the second quarter, floundered it away in the third. They were down 10 points in the closing segments of that frame, but then they just went on an absolute tear in the fourth quarter. Big contributions from Josh Giddy and SGA to get there. Giddy had 11 on 4-4 shooting in that fourth quarter, and SGA had seven for himself. 37 points in the fourth quarter for OKC to just 22 points from the Brooklyn Nets. So they made it matter when it mattered most. Kind of repeating the phrase twice, but you get what I'm saying. Like, they were clutch, and that is a trait that this team really has not had in the last couple of seasons. Are they clutching the fact that they're able to tighten these games? Absolutely. When there was a 20-point deficit a season ago, you knew the game was going to go down to a matter of the final one or two possessions, right? Like, that's going to be a single-digit game, win or lose. But what matters is if you're in that win or loss column. And they're starting to get into the rhythm of they're actually going to take those close games, and sometimes they're going to not make it close. It's not going to come down to the final buzzer. They're going to have that win in their back pocket with the final minute and change to go in the game. That's exactly what went on here. 
and it was led by the two star players in Giddy and SGA. Giddy nears a triple-double, 28 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, and SGA had himself a day as well with 28 points, 7 rebounds, and just one assist to his name. So a bit of a different play style there where Giddy's kind of the main offensive aficionado, but it ended up working. You also had some key role players stepping in. Lou Dort was the big one, five three-pointers in the game, and Isaiah Joe, three of four from downtown. You need to find those guys in rhythm on catch-and-shoot shots for this squad, and when you're able to find one or two guys in these games, that's when you're going to go get those big wins, and that's exactly what they did. Moving on to the next one, playing against the Indiana Pacers. They're in a very interesting situation right now because I'd like to say that they kind of mirror the thunder in some ways when I was looking at the Pacers on paper going into this season I wasn't really expecting them to be a playoff team maybe sneaking into the play-in they have talent they have young talent uh, but do they have the stars they have Halliburton who's a beast but guys like Matherin popping off I don't think I had that on my bingo card so Right now, they're hovering around the 500 mark, but this is a very, you know, good game to match up with if you're OKC. Kind of give you that gauge when, uh, you know, you're facing not just those young guys, uh, but also more of those solidified veterans, guys like Buddy Heald on the roster who are able to get things done. But the big deal with Indiana is they just don't have crazy amounts of depth. I think OKC definitely has their number there. And depth wasn't even the big part of the story, really. The the biggest part was how the starting fives matched up to begin this game. 17-1 to run in the first four minutes of the game? Ridiculous. I mean, Kenrich Williams was draining threes. He had a big role starting in this game. Everybody was really hitting threes, anything they wanted in the first four. And when you're able to get that big of a lead, you're in good position. They were up 16 points going into the second quarter and they're able to hold on to it this one really wasn't up in the balance for much of this game uh this was kind of just your clean cut wire to wire victory for okc led by as much as 29 points in the fourth quarter and this was just a straight out blowout i mean everybody was kind of firing all on all cylinders for oklahoma city indiana really just didn't have any guy that they could depend on to buy a bucket those nights happen obviously, uh, but OKC, they just had so many different options that they could end up going towards, especially when you don't have Tyrese Halliburton on the other side. That's when you kind of got to slide around a little bit, and like I said, the depth just wasn't at tip-top shape, and OKC's been through it. You know, they honestly should have signed someone to a hardship exception about two weeks ago. Usman Jang has been recalled to the Thunder, so he's back, uh, but in that window, a little bit disappointed that OKC didn't at least sign somebody to fill a roster spot in the front court. That's besides the point, right? They got things done here. When you're looking at the top performers, you can really pick your poison on this one. Three different scores with 20 plus points. Lou Dort with 22 points and 11 rebounds. SGA with 23 points in 29 minutes. And Isaiah Joe doing Isaiah Joe things. 23 points in 22 minutes. 7 of 12 from the field. All of those attempts came from distance. Three-point shooting is so, so valuable in these games. You can't overstress it. Everybody knows it at this point. That's part of the game plan to winning these games. And 
Isaiah Joe is just the sniper for this Thunder squad off the bench. When you have other options, guys like Trey Mann that aren't hitting, even guys like SGA that might not be hitting, Lou Dort not hitting his threes. Yeah, you can look at Isaiah Joe. The 76ers had crazy amounts of depth on their team. I think when they waived Joe and Bassey, I was thinking those were two NBA players. Personally, I thought the Thunder were going to sign Bassey if they signed one because of the nature of him just being a center, and he's just been dominant, um, and he, he still has been. Him with the Austin Spurs has been a problem. Great player on a two-way contract. But, yeah, Joe comes in and immediately makes that impact. So he was the firecracker off the bench that really etched this game into stone and gave them a position they have not been in for a couple years. And this was one of the most anticipated games that I can remember for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Only real comparisons that I could come up with are draft lottery nights and game seven whenever they went off against the Houston Rockets. So they had a chance to go to the sixth seed in the Western Conference where they aren't even looking at play-ins. They're literally just a playoff team. So much of this Western Conference is just stuck in the middle at the 500 range. Right now even, you know, you're talking a matter of a game and a half between 5 and 11 where the Oklahoma City Thunder currently lie. So just a couple games are going to swing big time for these groups. And Oklahoma City, going up against Sacramento, had that opportunity to finally get over that hurdle and be looking on the right side of a playoff bracket. Sacramento's no joke, though. I mean, I feel like they are not really given the respect that they have earned. They are the third seed in the Western Conference right now. They're 26-19, and They have a lot of ball players. When that Halliburton trade first broke, nobody liked that deal. Honestly, I was I was confused as heck about it. Um, I definitely have some pod back when it broke last season about my thoughts. I'm gonna say I thought that Sabonis was a heck of a player. Like everybody said that Sacramento got destroyed. I feel like I kind of waned on the side of the middle ground but I definitely cannot be certain about that like I very well could have bashed the Kings just as everybody else did so I won't put that in quotes right uh but yeah they got a good group Keegan Murray coming in and just a bonus in general that's an absolute game changer OKC's biggest issue since Steven Adams has left has been at the center spot they just don't have the guys that can play in the post against the Jokic's, the Embiid's, the Nikola Vucevic's of the world, where they just destroy back-to-basket, or they can create for others. Sabonis is one of those guys, and when you see him on the schedule as a Thunder fan right now, you're not going to be too happy because he's going to pop off. That's just naturally how it goes until they're able to get Chet Holmgren back or they bring in another center that's going to be able to be that anchor around the paint. Anyways, though, this was one heck of a game where both sides were just having themselves a day. SGA had 37 points in this game, 16 of 23 from the field. And then you had other contributors as well. Isaiah Joe being the guy yet again. 23 points in the last game, 21 points off the bench in the next one. 
7 of 12 from 3 again. Just find the man from distance. He's going to get some numbers up. 29 minutes for him. So, you know, they're, they're giving him more of a role, which is awesome to see with this group. Giddy with 15 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. But let's look at the other side here. Sacramento found their way, and they found it around the interior. Sabonis, triple-double, 18 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists. Keegan Murray had 29 points and 14 rebounds. That's insanity. You know, this isn't the Las Vegas Summer League, right? But that's the kind of performance he just had. He was the MVP in Vegas. There was no doubt about it. And he was showing off his shooting ability. He shot 5 of 7 from distance in here. And he was the ultimate reason why the Sacramento Kings stumped the Thunder. Right in their tracks. They were right there at the 6th seed. Now they're still fighting just a little bit. Game by game, they're trying to chip away. But lose a hard-fought battle. 118-113. to Their winning streak shambles. They got to rebuild it. And they had to start somewhere. They started against the Denver Nuggets on Sunday. And it was another great game. And a game that went down to the wire. I talked about clutch games and how OKC was able to make them clutch games. But they weren't able to win them in seasons prior. They were able to get it done. 101-99 to SGA right off a timeout. Banks in an 8-footer. Gets the basketball, goes up for a slight pump fake, doesn't get Aaron Gordon really off the ground or anything, but just gets him moving enough to where he has a clear-cut shot at the basket, throws it up and in, and then defensively, Lou Dort put the clamps on Jamal Murray, ball game, OKC wins the game, and they're still in the hunt yet again for a play-in or playoff spot. This was a great just overall effort from everybody. SGA breaking the 30-point threshold again. It's not even like that insane to see him do this anymore. He's averaging like basically 30 points a game. So 34 points for him. Giddy with 18 points and 9 rebounds. Jalen Williams, not the greatest game. This is J-Dub, um, one of six in the game. And then a couple games prior as well, you know, he was a little bit inconsistent from the floor. So you had to find other guys to kind of slip in, um, which honestly doesn't happen too much. Like he's all reliable. He shot 0 of 9 against the Brooklyn Nets. That's uh, the last game. But yeah, when he kind of dips, um, you got to find somebody. Kenrich Williams is always one of those guys. Aaron Wiggins is always one of those guys. Kenny Hustle finished with 11 points in that latest game. I think Mike Muscala starting was actually pretty interesting. We just haven't seen him in that position this year, but he gets that move up and, you know, he, he did his job pretty well. Nikola Jokic not playing for the Nuggets also matters a lot. If you put him in this game, would it be a different end result? Potentially. Um, but it, regardless, it'd just be an insane test for guys like Jay Will in particular, I'd say, who only played seven minutes overall Darius Baisley also slipping in the rotation in this last game OKC in the current shape is seed 11 they would not be in the play-ins if the season ended today Golden State's at 10 same exact record and then you are still in the thick of it 
Utah, also basically the same at 24 and 25. I talked about the separation between 5 and 11. Literally just one and a half games. So it's anybody's ball game. Just getting on that three-game winning streak, it's going to mean a lot. Obviously, you need that overall product after 82, but you know we're looking 47 games into the season. OKC is just crushing all expectations that were set for them. It's ridiculous. I mean, I was just looking at win totals that were projected for every team in the league, and you kind of see the pattern that OKC at their greatest, might get you 28 wins on the season. At their worst, we're talking 23. You know, in that case, they're already there, you know? And NBC is one that I wrote down here. There are 23 and a half wins for the projection. OKC's 23 and 24. So they are going to definitely crush that. And it's fairly reminiscent of couple seasons ago where OKC had a 0.2% chance of making the playoffs and you kind of know the rest of the story they made the playoffs almost made the second round and we would have seen what that chapter would have looked like had it gotten there Um, but yeah they've been great and I kind of look at it there's plenty of different reasons like I feel like actually saying there's just three reasons for someone having a drastic change in their win-loss record is ridiculous Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyways I talked about in the last pod as well uh, just kind of the different factors that have really popped off for um, for my radar. SGA really hasn't changed, but you got to keep in mind that you have to have a superstar to you know consistently be winning some games here. Is it the only route for success? Absolutely not, but it's going to let you get point A to point B a lot easier. He's been exactly that. Best player out of that Paul George trade and you're still waiting on all those draft picks to come in as well. So I'd say it worked out pretty dang well for Sam Presti and company uh, picking up SGA and you know having him under wraps for a while under his contract extension. Still leading the league in drives. He's been doing this the last couple of seasons. Right now it's about 24 drives per game. And he's averaging 16.3 points off of those drives. Magnificent score that you have on your hands here. And one of the interesting things, kind of looking at his statistics, is that he basically is just the offensive generator. You do not see him take catch-and-shoot shots, and when the ball is out of his hands, if he's getting the basketball back, he's looking to put it on the deck and kind of create there or create for others. So he's a very special talent, and oftentimes all you need um, is just setting that high ball screen, letting him slash the basket and see what happens, even if... He is contested around the basket. He's gotten so good at absorbing contact, but not just absorbing contact, but selling fouls to where you're going to get pretty good look um, when there might not be much daylight even out there. So he's been absolutely stellar for OKC. Looking more at the overall team, though, it it just comes down to the three-point line. I mean, they have not been impressive from distance. Last season in particular just was not a good show for them. I've used this statistic literally since last spring when I dug it up, but they are the second worst team in history since the NBA started tracking this stat and three point percentage on catch and shoot threes last year. And, you know, even now when you add in the new batch, they're 299 out of 300. So 10 years of history, second worst that you're going to find. Only team worse included Josh Smith on the Detroit Pistons. That was the first year they started tracking it. They shot half as many shots as the Thunder team did last year. 
when you don't have consistent three-point shooters from deep, and when I mean consistent, I mean more than one. Like, if you have one sharpshooter, sure, but you're probably going to need two, um, especially how OKC plays with a lot of those high ball screens. It's going to be a problem because you're going to play box and one. You're really not going to pay much attention to those people in the corner, and you're not really going to face the repercussions. Just like statistically, you should be letting those guys let it fly from distance because you don't want SGA driving inside with a head of steam with really nobody there to stop him. Now, it's kind of changed to where there's multiple different elements these defenders have to take into account. Are these guys from deep shooting three, four times on catch and shoots a game? Most of them, no. You know, there are those guys that are specifically there for three-point shooting. Guys maybe like Mike Muscala or Isaiah Joe. But for your traditional player, the J-Dubs, the Kenrich Williamses, like the Aaron Wigginses, they're not going to be shooting a ton of threes per game, but they're able to space the floor out, which is really what matters here. And if you're able to space it out, you get those looks. If you're going to decide that you're going to you know, play heavy on SGA. Yeah, they'll take those one or two threes per game and they're going to have a pretty good percentage on it. OKC right now is 37.2% on catch and shoot threes. 5% increase from what we were seeing a year ago, which might seem tiny on paper, but it's big time. I think the best way to compare it is SGA's jump. Like everybody has been freaking out, or excuse me, not SGA, Josh Giddy. Everyone's been freaking out about Josh Giddy and his improvement from distance. He's kind of been riding waves like this clearly has him in his peak this year, but he's shooting 32.8% on threes. Last season, he was shooting, I think, 28.8%. I'll, I'll re-pull it up here. 26.3%. So I gave him a couple extra points. 26.3% to 32.8%. That is a big time jump. We're talking 5.5%. And everybody has been making that kind of the big focal point, which it most definitely should be. Just looking at a whole team approach, though, let's compare that jump 5% to 5.5. The point five is still big time, don't get me wrong, but the whole team-wide aspect has not been talked about near enough. And just breaking that down and thinking that Josh Giddy's improvement, that, that improvement has been made for the whole team, basically, when you look at the numbers, is absolutely ridiculous. And I think that is what has made this offense so much more efficient going on from, I'd say, year two to year three of this transition rebuild type phase. They're not entirely in rebuild mode anymore. They definitely have the direction where, you know, a couple years, you know, year one, year two, they really were just looking for what lottery night might hold or acquiring maybe some younger talent, but not necessarily chasing after playoff aspirations. Secret weapons to the three-point shot are the microwave scores and Trey Mann and uh, Isaiah Joe. OKC has fully jumped on this ship of the modern NBA guard, which is the combo guard that can handle the basketball and space the floor out to oblivion. Guys like Teo Maladone, and Ty Jerome are good basketball players. There's a reason why both of them are on two-way contracts. And quite frankly, I wouldn't even consider Ty Jerome a two-way player. Yes, he's on that contract. But the Warriors use him and they use Anthony Lamb as just standard contract guys. They don't play for the Santa Cruz Warriors. They're already certified veterans. And they're making veteran-type plays for the team. 
Teo Maladone as well. Really hasn't played for the Greensboro Swarm. He's playing with the big boys with the Charlotte Hornets. Their play styles are way different than what you see with Mann and Joe, though. And I think Presti had in mind pairing Trey Mann with someone similar, which Isaiah Joe is. Just someone who can put the ball on the deck and score or even create for himself. I'd say Mann probably has Joe's number in terms of actually handling the basketball and making plays for others in the assist department, but both of them can make passes. Both of them can definitely shoot the heck out of the basketball. And when one of them scoring 20 plus points in the game, you have that third superstar behind SGA, Giddy, and you know you have other guys that can pop off too, like J-Dub, uh, to where you're able to secure those games and those tight games ultimately end up going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The glue guys too, as well. This is just another mold that OKC has found uh, a lot of success in finding not going for all the flashy guys I was watching um a clip on Twitter actually with Sham Sharania and he discussed that Kenrich Williams was valued at a first round pick like OKC had offers to trade him for a first round pick his contract is really good his previous one was a three-year six million dollar contract now he's looking at an extension where he's making about 6.8 million dollars roughly i believe and that's still insane when you're talking multiple years those cheap guys that are able to plug and play playoff teams need those players and okc understands that presti values that and that's why they're not looking to trade him kenny hustle has been loyal to this franchise he wants to see them grow and you know, when they are in playoff form, Kendrick Williams is still going to be an integral part of how this team operates. It's not only just him. I'd say guys like Aaron Wiggins as well. Like, he might not play as many minutes. His role might not be consistent night to night. But he's going to go in there, give 100% effort. And if he scores 18 points, shooting like 7 of 9 from the field, I'm going to believe it every time just because of kind of the resume he's built. Um from all three levels of the court offensively, but also defensively, he can make some noise. J-Dub, can't speak higher on him. You know, so many good words to describe J-Dub as a player. Not only is he this guy, the glue guy is a catch-and-shoot option or a defender, but he can handle the basketball as well and create for others. So he's that sneaky third guy. And when Chet comes back, I mean, I, I don't even know where you put people in pecking orders and such but i don't think it necessarily changes i think regardless of his rotation like he's able to shape shift into whatever the team needs and give you know big time benefits to the roster overall so those are the three kind of pieces that i wanted to talk about also just wanted to talk about the thunder and where they stand up with some other teams that might have been compared to them going into this regular season and you know another team that's in a similar boat to where I think you can compare them pretty well now is the Utah Jazz. I mean, they traded everything. Kind of like that firehouse sale that OKC went through. Do they still have some players on that they could sell? Absolutely, you know. But those two big players in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert offloaded. The Gobert trade already looks like gold for them. Walker Kessler's making it to an all-rookie team. He's blocking every single shot out there just being a dominant force, um, and then not to mention all the picks that they got. But even in the Donovan Mitchell trade as well, trade away Mitchell, you initially look at that on paper, you're thinking, oh, they got Colin Sexton and some you know, some capital, Ochai Abaji. Um, but Lori Markkinen has been the prized possession of that trade, 
and he's just worked his way back up to stardom. You know, I, I've talked about the six-man ballot and how I would personally do it. I think Lori Markkinen, or excuse me, not six-man, most improved player. What am I talking about? Lori Markkinen's really established himself, I think, as a front runner. If he's on, you know, if I had the ballot, I'd probably put him one just because I think it's been obviously a bigger jump than SGA because SGA's been a star, star to superstar. I'd say Markkinen has gone from kind of lost fringe starter to being the star of the Utah Jazz, but averaging 25 points per game, nine rebounds, and shooting 43% from distance. I mean, that's just absolutely wacky numbers, man. So, you know, they've kind of turned what was a a bad situation, kind of that sinking ship, into one that's looking pretty good for them, and they still have some picks they can ride home about. Other teams that were kind of in the same spot, where it was just rebuild mode, I'd say the Houston Rockets were definitely there, and I think on paper they're a better team than the numbers suggest. There's been all this talk about the organization. Um, everyone that I've talked to in the Rockets organization has been great. I think that they have, you know, a good internal structure and they have very, very talented players. They're just kind of waiting for that turn. You know, a lot of it comes down to what people have talked about are veteran leaders. Um, they have, you know, some of that with guys such as Eric Gordon in the mix. Uh, but, you know, a couple more ping pong balls. They get that one more asset. They'll be good. Personally, I thought after this Jabari pickup, they'd be settled. And it just hasn't fallen into place just yet. But let's not kid ourselves. Like Jalen Green, all-star level score. Um, it just kind of comes down to kind of the IQ side of things. Alperin Sengun. They're starting to give him an enhanced role to where he's kind of the big piece of the offense. He's able to be that aficionado, and he's thrived in it. A lot of people said he's the top asset now within the Rockets organization. Jabari Smith, you know, he started out slow. He's kind of been boxed into that role player, catch-and-shoot three-point guy. He can still evolve from that. Like, I don't think you're just immediately going to chalk him up as not meeting expectations. you got to keep in mind that, you know, these rookies are now 19 20 years old coming into the league there's plenty of room in the growth plates for him and overall i think there's just plenty of growth for the team in general i still think they're going to be a bottom three team in the league um when it's all said and done they're going to be in the hunt for victor Weminyama most definitely but you can't just short sell them on on how many good players they've acquired on their roster san antonio spurs you know, they're they're also kind of that middle ground between, I'd say, the Thunder and the Rockets, where Spurs are clearly rebuilding. They moved on to, from some of their players to get assets. They're still holding on to some. Jakob Pertle being the big one. And they're also probably going to be in that bottom three when the season is all wrapped up. I'd say the Rockets were higher on my power rankings going into the year. I thought the Spurs were going to be, like, the bottom team. But it really has not been that way. And then the Detroit Pistons as well uh, out east. Also kind of like the Rockets where, you know, they're rebuilding still, but definitely on the rise. Kate Cunningham's out for the remainder of the season. That's going to do some damage, of course. But Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, Sadiq Bay, like they have 
some strong pieces they can kind of build up with. Seems like a lot of them are still stuck in the rebuild mode, though, and OKC is kind of out of that shell, I'd say. Like, they're looking to make that a rival that Sam Presti talked about in his famous press conference. Like, it's not an appearance. It's a straight-up arrival for these guys. And with a couple more wins, they're going to be on track for that. I'm going to keep you guys posted with the OKC Thunder and the OKC Blue. Got some big games coming up for both squads, so I will keep you updated on both. That's going to do it for today's episode, though, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.